You are listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, a Final Fantasy Thirteen Series Game Club podcast. This is episode 12, covering the post-game, and I am your host, Chris Taylor, and with me is... This is Graham Marcuson. And I'm Matt Marcus. Alright, so in this episode we're going to talk about post-game generalities, like how do we do our party, like what's the flow of the post-game in terms of weapon upgrading, Crystarium, how it works... And then we're going to touch on notable missions. We're going to omit a lot of missions because a lot of the missions are just fighting enemies you've already fought before with the numbers turned way higher. So we're going to hit the highlights and we're going to cover like 120 hours of the game, depending on how you do it, how efficient you are (laughs) in like an hour. So let's get into it, right? For my party, I did a starting in chapter seven, seven, nine, whenever you get the ability to actually pick your party the whole time. I wound up with uh, Fang, Hope, and Lightning. I put Fang as my leader, primarily focusing on Commando and Sentinel for Fang, Ravager and Commando for Lightning, and Medic and Ravager for Hope. This party really worked for me because it hits all of the niches in the way I like to play. So I have the defensive buffs, got haste. I have the offensive debuffs, right? So things that let me do more damage. Got a Sentinel. I didn't wind up think I needed two, but it had redundancy in all of the main roles of uh, Medic, Commando, and Ravager. And I had a good mix of paradigms, or basically every paradigm I always had either a Commando or a Saboteur. And a bunch of different paradigms of Medic, so I could get some healing while always doing offense all the time. Uh, what did you guys do? Uh, well, I had Zaz as a leader, and then Snow and Vanille. Now, Zaz was basically a Ravager synergist. Snow was a commando sentinel, and Vanille was a saboteur medic. The reason why I chose this party is because basically every playthrough I've done, I went with Lightning, Bang, and Hope. And that's, the, that's like, a, I think, the most common party. These other guys, they're the B-sides, so it was a new experience. It's not terrible, and it's a lot of fun. But when Vanille is your only healer, you have to really rely on Snow Sentinel role to get through a lot of battles. I made good use for the Sentinel role this playthrough. Yeah, so I did the same thing as Chris, uh, Light Fang Hope, but I led as Lightning, uh, mostly because I like using Army of One to just really stack up the chain gauge in order to do a lot of damage as either dual comms and a RAV or, or triple comms, depending on how I wanted it built. Yeah, Army of One super useful. I used Highwind on occasion, controlling Fang. Usually that's a for a certain enemy we'll talk about later. But I'm going to be honest here, guys. I did half of these missions at the beginning with this save file. And then I got to the Titan Trials and decided to look at my old party from my previous game when I was just doing a lot of grinding. And I had a maxed out party with practically maxed out weapons. And I went, Let's see if I can make this a little easier for myself and save myself 30 hours of grinding in order to do this end game. And I, I so what you, you're saying is you forfeit your right to an opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So what <laughs> sure. I, did was, I just saved myself a lot of fucking time I would have wasted like doing the same thing over and over again. So I ended up like with that half, I used the same party, but you know, my paradigms were different. I had like Cerberus and Tri Disaster and uh, whatever the triple synergists and triple saboteurs ones are. So I, I mostly used like the triple paradigms and maybe I think I still had combat clinic on there because having a sentinel is still super useful. But yeah, that was my party. 
So I wound up doing a decent amount of this, and then after, like, fighting four goblin missions in a row, I thought to myself, what am I doing with my life? So then I stopped. And instead you started watching Pokemon. Oh, fuck (laughs) off. Still not completely sure what I'm doing with my life, to be honest. My mother even asked me when I told her that. But, uh... Yeah, so Graham did primarily most of this, so we're gonna we're gonna defer to Graham whenever. So let's get into it. We're starting on the uh, Archelite Steppe, the mainland. After beating the final boss, the player will discover that your Crystariums have hit their final level, uh, 10. It's, uh, very similar on all the main roles, on all the new characters. Uh, there are virtually no new abilities in these 10th levels, but you get a... an accessory slot on one of the main roles, and everyone has the last role level node. And then there are huge stat-up nodes all the way around, especially the HP nodes are especially big, and they just cost... A bajillion CP. Yeah, it starts out at like 30k per node. And it goes and then, to like 60. Yeah, and it's it's ridiculous because like just to wind back to chapter 13, the Vladislaw fight, that is 30,000 CP right there. So imagine like doing 50 of those <laughs> in order to finish just the main role for each person. The amount of HP that the heroes get in their last Crystarium levels is colossal and will likely change how the player handles defensive and healing situations. To expound, players on average will have 4,500 to 6,000 HP at the end of the game, but after reaching the end of their Crystariums, they will have over 15,000 HP. Tell me about the growth egg, Matt. Yeah, there's a there's an item you can get during uh, a few of these missions called a growth egg. It doubles the CP you get and it makes preparing for this late game a whole lot easier. Although you don't get it till pretty late in the mission list unless you beeline certain missions in order to get to the uh, game. Near the entrance of the step, you can start a string of missions that follow the uh, the plot progression all the way to Oerba. Some of these sea stones unlock fast travel nodes it makes traversal a whole lot easier. There are other ways that traversal is made easier. And there are also certain Seath Stones that block off areas of Pulse that you would need to have first have the stone activate and also do the mission in order to explore more. If you're me and you didn't do this string of missions in Chapter 11, Pulse is absolute suffering trying to like get up and running with the ability to traverse somewhat quickly oh, to yeah. spend like... 20 minutes at a time walking across the plains. <laughs> yeah, it's not until you unlock uh, Chocobos, not to burn cast for later, but that that happens early-ish, but not early enough, in my opinion. Yeah, no, yeah, like, four hours in, here you go. Now it only takes five minutes instead of 15 to walk across the thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, once you've done the main string of missions that you were likely to do in Chapter 11, you're going to wind up in the uh, Yastras Massif, which is a canyon environment. If you explore it, you write, you find this open plateau where you can see Cocoon in the distance. You'll get this cutscene between Hope and Vanille, which is uh, 
has some has some interesting cutscene content. You'll <laughs> find some treasure around here, but this area mostly exists as a different environment to fight marks. Uh, it's very flowery. This area has a huge problem, in my opinion. It has two distinct Z levels and the mini map marker for the star. You'll take a mission and you're like, oh, this thing is five feet to my right. And you go five feet to your right down a ramp. And then suddenly it's so far away. You can't see it on the mini map. You can't see it on the map. Yeah. See, this this is mission uh, four. We're talking about a hero's charge. Yeah, it's yeah. it is. So it's, the map does not handle this area well. No. And before we like just we just let's skim past it. But like that cutscene between Hope and Vanille is actually really funny to me because Hope basically negs Vanille. <laughs> you know he, he's basically like oh but i care about you i'm just kidding <laughs> see the hope's problem is that he forgot to demonstrate higher value after negging the target uh yeah so. no, well here's the here's the thing is like hope is like 14 years old right he is surrounded by like three very attractive women and he just does not respond at all like that kid must have like the most self-control of any 14 year old boy I have ever met. <laughs> that's that's what the name means. He's hoping to quench his thirst. <laughs> well, he, I mean, he, he even like, but he even like pulled out of this. <laughs> of, Whoa. Of this thing, you know what I mean? Like he, he had Vanille on, you know, on the line. <laughs> his pull out game so strong. He never started. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay. And when I got to polls, uh, I did a bunch of quests in Yachas Massif, uh, and it was way better for me because most of the enemies or some of the enemies out in Arcalite Sep are way too powerful for me. So going to Yachas Massif is way better for the player because of the levels of the enemies are lower and more accessible. Speaking of that, like a garbage quest that has you go all the way across Yachas Massif, the Adroa fight is pretty bad. Okay, let me explain. Deeper into Yachasa Masif, there is this ruins, and it has a couple missions, including Mission 7, which is Batidas the Pillager. He's a winged seath, uh, and he's a hard battle, but your reward is the R&D Depot shop card, and that's where you go to get like all your high-end mechanical components that you're going to use to upgrade your weapons and accessories. Right, so your ultra compact, uh, ultra compact reactors and, yeah. and particle accelerators. Yeah, and it also like you get a little cutscene here after the fight, and it looks like there's a handful of little seat stones around this area. So as far as missions go, this one's like half story important. I don't know what you call it. It has an arc. It has an arc. Yeah, like and they try to do this with uh, certain fights. Like a lot of these, you'll just go, you'll kill a thing, you'll get mission completed, and then you'll just move on to the next thing but they try to at least build in a little bit of hooks here and there and this is the first time you'll probably run into that there are a few missions in the valis media which if you recall that's where we started on pulse where you know hope passed out and then we had the alexander fight there is a seath stone there that was previously inactive because the way these missions string together certain ones will unlock the ability to do later missions and it's not very clear it's not like the game tells you what the prerequisite is so if you're running around, and you see a node that is just lying on the ground. It's because you haven't done a previous mission. So this one is mission eight. This one happens to be uh, one of the stones that you can warp to. It's a waypoint. Yep, it's a waypoint. And this is one's called the 11th hour. And the enemy is a Rakshasa, which is one of these, uh, you know, the hopping bird daemon enemies. 
and the, yep, the guy you've been fighting since chapter four. Yep. But what's important about this is that you get a collector's catalog, which increases your drop rate. And this is like mandatory if you're doing super late game stuff and trying to get drops. This is probably your first chance of getting one. So if you're doing the Atras Massif things, you'll probably get it early on in the game. Mm. I have a really dislike the string of missions thing. They like designed this game knowing that a bunch of people with no respect for their time would write up game facts guides for it. Mm. Yeah, I I kind of wish either that was more clear or at least like geographically that string was more consistent so that you're not like running back and forth like, oh, mission you know, 20 is all the way over here or what have you. But it's on the opposite side of the map. But you need to do that to unlock the one that's near the stone you just finished. So it's, yeah. there's a lot of traversal in, in this part of the game because not only you have to you have to get to the stone, then you have to get to the mark. Then you have to find the next stone that will unlock the next string of stones. It's not signaled very well. Yeah. Nope. Man, there's like this mission list that it took me a while to find because it turns out that the button prompt for where to find the mission list in the map is subject to the 1080p multiple bug. Oh, no. I just had no idea there was a mission list in the game for like a good 10 hours. Jesus Christ. Yeah. If you're on the map, (laughs) at least on PlayStation, you hit square again, the map button, and it'll pull up the list of ones you've viewed, ones you've defeated, the one you're on and like your rank. Can we talk about the ranking thing now? Like, what's the point of getting a rank other than like, is the the drop is not different? I don't think it makes you feel like you're achieving something instead of just pouring hours of your time. There, there is an achievement tied to it. That I mean, yeah, that that makes the most sense if you care. Yeah, and if you redo these missions, it's not like you're going to get the same reward. I think you get a lesser reward for redoing missions. You know, because you're not going to get like three growth eggs from the same mission not what they do. No. Isn't there an achievement for like five starring all of the hunts? Yep. Yeah, that's, that's what, exactly yeah, what it is. Yeah, that's what Grand. Yep. Yeah. Not definitely no. definitely super not worth it. <laughs> no, especially because like I I don't know about you guys, but my experience with this late game is I always felt like I was overleveled, but what instead of making the fights easier, what it did is it made the time to finish so tight that I rarely was able to get five stars consistently because it's just like, oh, you have to beat this in 26 seconds. Oh, you did it in 21 seconds? Sorry, your score is not high enough for five stars. Yeah. Yeah, that's a problem I had in the fifth arc when I was overpowered because of the equipment I had on. So mm-hmm. I was getting three stars each fight because the imbalance between strength and how fast I was beating them. Right. So, like, the game sort of controls for not just your level against the enemies and, you know, your stats, but your equipment as well, which I think. That's not good design. I think like if, no. you, if you're like ahead a of the power curve, you should feel ahead of the power curve and hear the way they handle the time thing with this much of a gap in level. It's just an yeah. explicit punishment for min-maxing. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's an item we'll talk about at the end of this that should technically help with, with getting this done, but it just means you're going to spend a lot of money on Deceptisols in order to five-star everything if that's what you want to do. You're going to spend a lot of money. A post-game story. <laughs> True. So the next notable mission is uh, Mission 12. Uh, You might have found this early in Chapter 11. You get this, uh, there's this big red, like, hex force field thing. The mark is Gyseric. It's an undying seath. That's that's one of the walking ones, like the vampires, right? Yeah. 
it's bigger though. Like the no, it's like a, it's a unique model altogether. It's yeah. a unique model that isn't seen anywhere else in the game. Well, it's like that body type. That's it. Kind right. of articulates. It's like one of the sacrifice body types, but like bigger in a different model. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Pretty much. It's yeah. like a, like yeah. a hulked out version of it. And it's actually it's cool because when you select this mission and you go down into the area of the step where it is, all of a sudden now there are vampires everywhere. It's like visibly has changed zone which i i think is neat i didn't fight any of those other fights but the first thing i saw this was like oh ambrosia there's a new enemy design and it's got like this cool uh like hands over its eyes looking thing like it, it it's a neat little uh little design the no fight, it is cool yeah for sure oh yeah and this is the one uh, yeah it climbs over the cliff by the edge of the step yeah yep. that's neat yeah yeah so do we want to talk about this fight at all is there anything interesting here? Uh, well, like, I just want to say that, like, it removes the paling and unlocks a few waypoint zones. And it's even at my high level, it was pretty, it was tough because he hits very hard and you need to be on the defense when he hits because yeah. it will hurt. Yeah, he staggers relatively easily. And the nice thing is you can launch him. So even though he's little big and beefy, you can mitigate a lot of damage just by by bum rushing him. I wound up switching between Sentinel Commando Ravager, Sentinel Ravager Ravager, and Sentinel Commando Medic, depending on what we needed. So I didn't really get punished a lot, and I just kind of blew them down. Yeah. fight uh the force field goes away and this unlocks a new area called the font of namva which is notable mostly because this is where you're going to unlock your chocobos you walk into this area it's this nice little spring there's a waterfall it's sort of a wetlands there's chocobos in other corners and there's also orbans and sahagins at which we fought before in the sulia springs and uh, there's a little cutscene you get with the tiny chocobo, the chickabo, hopping around and having a good time. And this is another one of those weird Saz scenes where he he's kind of played for humor. Where he goes like, oh, maybe you'd be happier with, you know, with uh, with these people. And then like the chocobo like smacks him in the head until he falls down. <laughs> and it's like, what wh- was this necessary? Was this really <laughs> like, did we have to make Saz look even more silly? Yes. Yeah, apparently. The answer is always yes if you're Square Enix. Yeah, yeah. But in this area, you can pick up a mission, uh, Defender of the Flock, where you get this cutscene where some chocobos are being menaced by some fish monsters, and then you fight the fish monsters. It's uh, two of the bipedal fish bird things that inflict daze and slow your party, and uh, two of the ceratosaurs, which are those are the summoning ones, right? 
Yeah. They're like uh they're like the Brescian bass that summon the other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can get overwhelmed pretty quickly if you're not careful. Or you just spam blitz a thousand times and win the fight. <laughs> That's one way to do it. Sure. Moving on. The Gishel Reigns item allows access to Chocobos. After acquiring it, the player will see Chocobos around the font of Namba and all over El Chilta's step. Riding them gets the player around quicker and allows the player to traverse previously inaccessible geography. This includes high cliffs that the Chocobos can hop onto and across lakes that the Chocobos can jump across. Most of these places will have good treasure, but towards the eastern reaches of the Archilta Steppe is a series of new zones to explore, but because they are at a higher level, we'll talk about them later. Yeah, so the Chocobos also have a treasure hunting ability. As the player is riding around, you'll see a exclamation point pop up above the Chocobo's head, and it'll bounce up and down at a speed relative to how close you are to the spot where you will find a buried treasure. And once you get to it, you'll get a prompt if you swing the camera around to the right way and you can dig. There's a little cutscene, and you get an item. And for the most part, these items are really good. They're like really high value, like sellable items like gold nuggets or gold dust and whatnot. So like yeah. it's pretty useful, especially when you're first getting into this part of the game, because you're going to need a ton of money for the post game. And this helps. And these areas regenerate, I found, and you'll get other items the second and third times and what have you, you go back to these areas. One of the items you can find this way is the ribbon accessory, which is, you know, a long running item in the Final Fantasy series that is like super OP on uh, mitigating status effects. But the the one thing about the Chocobos, I got to say, like, you know, I was controlling lightning and I also controlled a uh, video a little bit for a, a couple of parts. The way they like hop onto the Chocobo, it's a, it's a little too sexy. I don't know. It just it feels a little weird. When Fang's riding the Chocobo, she has two legs off one side. Yeah, she's she's riding side saddle, which is cool. That's a nice little difference. But like, yeah, Lightning, like she mounts that thing. Yeah, she has like stripper level of like leg splitting to get on this Chocobo. And same with uh, Vanille, like did it, they mount this sucker. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasize uh, the word mount for me more, please. Let's take that again. Mount. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so moving on, right? We you'll wind up with Man, a. I should have, I should have made a reference to reverse cowgirl. Oh, shit! Fucking go for it. <laughs> no, no. Go I'm on. trying to figure out how I want to. Why do we want to go in here? Other than fuck you, the way you get here is weird. Why do we want to talk about this subsection? Just because it's a weird thing that's weird. Okay, so uh, there's another unlockable area that you'll get during the post game in uh, the riveting tunnels of Mahabara. We'll get it. One, we'll get it. Hopefully, we'll get it before the season is over. There's that destroyed bridge with the juggernaut on the platform, just the random juggernaut that's only there to be there, and it's on the other side of the bridge. And you'll get a mark that you can't find in the main portion of the cave. And the way you have to get there is by going to Solia Springs, you ride Atmos backwards. He parks there in where the destroyed portion of the bridge is because he destroyed it. And you can hop across him into a new area, which is really just more tunnels with stronger enemies that take longer to kill. But they're kind of the same thing. There's some other missions here 
maybe we'll talk about them. I don't remember which ones are here. If they if we left them in here is noteworthy, but I was marginally irritated with how you got there because it was very unintuitive. Yeah, it's obtuse. It's stupid. Yeah, once you start warping around, you can warp into the mine or into the Celia Springs, or or you can warp into just before the mine. So like there are like three ways you can get into this area. You have to make sure that Atmos is at the right spot. So like. You can't just call Atmos and have him sit there. You have to call him, then roll back, and then jump over. And there are like three cutscenes of Atmos rolling, and you you can skip all of them. You can like, oh, it's so bad. I don't know why they have so many. You know what? You know what would have solved a lot of the post game for me is if you could warp from your map instead of at a fixed stone, or when you were looking at the warp list. Instead of it just being this box that pops up over the game, like pull up my map and as mm-hmm. I scroll the list, show me where it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because you pick the wrong one. Fuck you. Here's a load screen. Do it again. Uh, it's not as bad as the load screens I'm seeing in 13.2, though. God, those load screens are so long. At least Dog, I don't know why you're not. Play it on a computer. It uh, loads so fast. Oh, uh, God, that'd be so much nicer. And these areas, too, like they have mostly like the hopping bird guys or other like seats and that they're so narrow i was trying to avoid all these fights and i could dodge a surprising number of them but not all of them it's kind of frustrating yeah there's the one right by the entrance of the area with the ramp that has the two buffer guys and you can never get by that one but you can get by almost all the other ones right okay so when you get to Tydrine's tower there's going to be like a waypoint zone right there and it's going to be available no matter what because it has no pre-res equits unlike the stones prior so there's one right outside Tygen's tower, and then inside the tower there is this mission 27, Mithridates the Lone. It's at the top of the tower. The marks at the bottom. Now this guy's hard, and I did him right away. He's another undying thief, and he hits with so many ailments, and he dispels your buffs. I think. So even especially when you first meet him, he can be incredibly challenging. I only succeeded because I got Bar Thunder up quick so that his Ebon Bolt ability did not completely destroy me. Yeah, this is the mission that gets unlocked by unlocking the ability to ride the elevator from the apex all the way down and playing the little music. And we're really there. only talking about it as a condolence prize for you yeah, because you complained yeah. about it oh so much. Oh my god, I wanted to talk about this uh, because <laughs> th- this fucking fight, man, this fight took like a couple hours out of my life because... I got real stubborn. I thought it was a warp stone, so I thought I really had to do it now. And I went down there, and this fight, like, I had to, like, jack up all of my lightning uh, resistance stuff. And basically, like, that Ebon Bolt, like, if you walk in there right at the time you you get there, it'll kill you. Like, it'll kill everybody in the party unless you have a Sentinel up, unless you have lightning resistance stuff, or you have Bar Thunder. And this fight ended up taking me 20 minutes out of what was supposed to be an eight minute fight. That was definitely worth your time. Ugh. Yeah, I was I got zero stars on it. And in fact, uh, I also this is where I discovered that the game casts doom on you if you take over 20 minutes in any single fight. And so at this at this point, like he starts spamming miasma so much in the second half of his life that the fight just grinded to a halt. I couldn't get any momentum on offense. And I just eked it by. So it was like. Super satisfying to take this fucker down, but god damn it, it was not that fun. No, uh, I came back later and just definitely murdered this guy, and it was not noteworthy in any way. Sorry, Matt. 
uh, I wanted to go back and redo this fight at a high level just to say fuck you. This fight, by the way, is also just a sort of rehash of Mission 7. It's the same kind of enemy, just more powerful. Yeah, yeah. Notice we're already talking about Mission 27, and we only talked about, like, three of them so far, and one of them was only noteworthy because of the reward. There's not a lot of unique content in the post game, which is what I was hoping for when we ambitiously said there might be two episodes, but <laughs> nope. I misremembered this post game a lot. Like the first time I did it, I had a real good time, but like revisiting it, it's oh. been underwhelming. So did I, but that was because I was young and didn't realize that my time was way more valuable than it is. So, well, yeah. Uh, the last noteworthy mission that is probably worth picking up in chapter 11 is. Uh, in Awerba, near the entrance, you get this stone that starts Mission 28, and it's just slightly farther into there, and it's a group of Ceratosaurs. And uh, these are the... Are these the hand dudes? No, no, they're just... I think they're just, like, lizards or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the, oh, the hand dudes. Yeah. Are there. well, there's, like, ten of them. There's ten of them. That's a yeah, lot. so you fight, you fight ten of these fucking fish guys, right? And if you're doing this in Chapter 11, they do okay damage, and then there's just so many of them. And they get buffed too, right? Don't they get buffed? Yeah, God help you if you don't come in here with like... So I saw 10 guys and I'm like, I'm going to try to set an ult. And then I got dunked on and I was like, you know what? Let's just hit retry. Let's pop both an Aegisol and a Fortisol and then just gas blitz a lot. And then the fight was over. Yep. But man, do you take a lot of damage at the beginning? Yeah, I definitely got killed the first try. Uh, my my method was the Septisol and a lot of blitzes and I won. It was that was very efficient. Yeah, uh, you get a giant's glove. What is a giant's glove? I think it just like prevents an ailment of some kind. I don't remember. Giant's yeah, glove. Uh, deep protect. I think it's thirty uh, percent against deep protect. Yeah. Resist D brave. Oh, D brave. Oh, you could upgrade it to level star and get plus forty five percent. That's super duper worth it. Oh, is it? Just kidding. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, cut the fucking talk about the Giant's Glove. Yeah, this is a waypoint, and really the only reason why you want this is to go talk to the uh, little robot buddy that you fixed up to get more uh, prizes. And you want to do that, yeah, because he gives you, like, almost a million gil worth of shit if you've done enough missions. I think this is the only thing impacted by your rank. Oh, you're uh, right. Like, every time you rank up, you can go back here and get a new reward. Gotcha, yeah, so, so maybe the, the ratings are tied to what items you can get from from this guy yeah it's it's literally just you achieved like fucking merce effects or whatever here you go come get like a gold ingot oh right there are rankings we we haven't yeah you you have ranking names but they're you don't pay attention to them it's not important really yeah it's just when you get a new one come back here and get a bunch of free money yep so that mission basically wraps up all of the missions that you're likely to encounter through chapter 11. You have some decent warp points. Some of them we didn't talk about because the fights weren't interesting. Like, hey, check it out. You're going to fight an Ambling Bellows again. Hooray. And now we're going to get into the explicitly post-game stuff.
So, you've beaten the game, you're in the post-game, you need, like, millions of CP to max your stuff out, right? Graham, what do we do? How do we do it? How do we handle the post-game? Tell me about it. Well, really what it comes down to is just doing all of these, like, higher-level Seath missions, and along the way, you're gonna... Well, what I do is I usually fight a lot of Admantises along the way, slowly getting better at taking them down more efficiently. But we'll get back to those Adamantuses later. What if we, well, okay, here's, here's what I think we should do. We should talk about Neochu first, because you want to get the growth egg. Yep. Then we'll talk about Adamantoises, because that's where you get your CP and your platinum ingots for money, which leads naturally into weapon upgrading, and then we just talk about all the missions you do. Yeah. Well, when you have this shit. I think, good? I think that's good. Now, to finish the post game, you're going to need a lot of CP and a lot of money. So what you want to do right away is make getting money and make getting CP way more efficient. How do I do that? One of the ways to do that is by getting the growth egg, which doubles CP. Now, to get the growth egg, you need to complete a specific mission the mission stone is found on Weba, but the mark is found in the Eastern Archlight Step. Now, worth noting, you have to do a bunch of arbitrary missions that you should Google on GameFAQs because you need a chocobo to get here. Yeah, yeah there are some prerequisites, but the actual fight is against the Neochu and its five Pikachu mi- minions. Yes, they're called Pikachus. Now, <laughs> being that most people are going to be fighting this when they're under-leveled so they can get this growth egg quicker... There are a number of special strategies in getting this thing early and completing this battle early on. We should talk about the battle itself because this is a unique enemy because you're probably going to fight. This is going to be the first Ochu type thing you fight, probably. Yeah, the Neochu is basically this big plant monster. It has high chain resistance. It has a high chain ceiling. So it's really hard to deal damage to this thing. It's really hard to get a chain stagger up. But what it is is it's weak to death. Yeah. It is vulnerable to death, so what you want to do is you want to bring Vanille into your battle, and you want her to be casting death on this thing until it lands. But even after that, you're still going to deal with the Pikachus. Now, if you're at a low level, they're pretty dangerous. So what I had to do is I basically had to turtle up with uh, Snow in the Sen roll, while Vanille just constantly attacked these Pikachus and slowly killed them. And... That takes a while, because it's hard to get a stagger meter going, even with debuffs on. Because Hope is always healing, Snow is always defending, Vanille's the only one who's on the Ravager roll for the most part. Now, obviously, as you kill a couple of these Pikachus, the battle loosens up a bit, you can go on the offensive more, but it still takes a long time. Yeah, these guys like to mob you, and they get buffed a lot by the Neochu, uh, and if the buffs had lingered after you killed the Neochu... You can get overwhelmed pretty quickly and get interrupted all the time. The uh, the thing about death is that it's a 1% success rate, even if something is weak to it. That increases with the number of debuffs on it. So it's like you get an extra, I think, percent per debuff uh, to success rate. Plus, also, you get another like 0.4% multiplier for each roll level. So like, but even so, that's a pretty low percentage. So it's. I, I got lucky. The first time I fought a Neochu in this playthrough, I tried to fight it normally. I got wrecked. I used a Libroscope, saw it was it could be death. So I came back with Vanille, got it on the first try, and got overconfident that that trick was going to work a lot. 
<laughs> and you got fucking obliterated immediately after by all the Pikachus. Uh, well, no, the one I did, the, the first Neo Chu fight uh, in the mission list is actually in the Titan Trials, and it's just by itself. So that was fine. But yeah. Oh, oh, so you got like real good false positive that you can just death this thing every time. And then you rolled up for the growth egg and got your shit well, kicked in. I, <laughs> I mean, I knew it wasn't going to be a 100% success rate. When I looked it up later, they said, oh, it's a 1% chance. Maybe if you're lucky, it's like a 4% chance. And that's a lot. So I, I, I ended oh, up having God. to redo that other Neo Chew fight with my maxed out party because I hadn't done it yet. And it took a lot longer, a lot more tries. Because this guy, this guy's a real bastard. <sighs> the screech debuffs you. It like takes away four of your buffs and does a lot of damage. Oh, dude, it's is a rough fight. If you're low, if you're low level, like you, so it like this is the absolutely the first thing I did was get do all of the prerequisites should come here and fight this guy, mm-hmm. and that will kill everybody but Fang. I think I had a Fang. Hope, Vanille. So you've got two or three casts before the Screech, and then mm-hmm. if you got five TP, you can get three more tries using Renew. And then you hit reset, and then it reloads, and then you do it again. Yeah, the death spam, like, it's a neat trick. It's just not as successful as you know, say the, the flu trick in Persona 5. <laughs> because I was so low level after I killed that, I sometimes needed a vanille medicking even. Oh, yeah. Just because the Pikachus yeah. were doing so much damage. So it was like 15 minutes where I'm just trying to cast death to get it to land. And once I got two of the Pikachus down, we could then occasionally switch into another roll. But what, at one point we got slightly too greedy and then half the party went down. I had to panic to pop an Ether Soul and then another not an Ether Soul, an Elixir and then another Renew. So it was a long fight, but you get the growth egg. And growth egg fucking worth. Oh, yeah. Because it, you equip it on one person and you double all your CP forever. And uh, that's very helpful when you start rolling into... Uh, now that you get CP, you can level up so you can get fucking money. Matt, tell me about getting paper. Yeah, so the best way to get, uh, get your gill up is uh, to get platinum ingots and other high-level uh, metals to sell. And the way you do that is you fight the adamantoises. These are the really big uh, stompy boys that you saw in the uh, Arclight step at the very beginning that probably wrecked you. Stompy boys! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, yeah, they probably stomped once and killed you real hard. Um, the, the thing that's confusing nope. is... Nope, Kath got, got death on the first cast. Oh, you bastard. All skill. Got both those treasure spheres. Yeah, you're lucky. So, yeah, and the thing is, the, these guys uh, drop platinum ingots at, I believe, like a 25% rate, and you can up that with uh, items. Uh, yeah. Like the collector's catalog. Collector's catalog increases it to 50%. Right. You could either do a death spam. That's the easiest, or at least the best way to do it as low level. And each one of those platinum ingots is worth 150,000 gil, and so you're going to need to get a lot of those in order to uh, get your weapons upgraded. Yeah. Why do I need so much money to upgrade my weapons? Tell me about it, Graham. Okay, so like when you get your levels leveled up pretty high, you will need an abundance of mechanical components to level it up to max because you can level up those third tier weapons to level 100. But the thing is, they require an abundance of experience points. So you're going to need like 10 or 20 
uh, what are they called, ultra-compact reactors to get it to max. And each one of those ultra-compact reactors costs 50,000 gil. Yep. And being that you sell platinum ingots for 150,000 gil, you're basically getting three ultra-compact reactors per ingot. It takes a number of ingots to level up a weapon to max. Yeah, it's worth noting, though, when you get that three times multiplier, you're looking at, I think it's one, two, and then three. So you're looking at, like, three to, I think, eight ultra-compact reactors to get a weapon to max level tier three, and then you gotta get the trapezohedron for the two million guilt. I think it's more than that, though, because I, uh, when I got into, yeah, the, the trapezohedrons, they're two million gil. And once you get to your ultimate level, that weapon can go up to 99, which I, I didn't yeah. count how much experience that and is. Those, that requires a lot of a lot, a lot of ultra compact reactors. Yeah. yeah, it so takes like, a long oh, time. So like no, I, wait, here's, I, the, here's the dick move I just found on GameFAQs. It's because they only give half experience for the final forms of the weapon. That sucks. That's stupid. Fuck you, Square Enix. Why would you do that? Yeah, because I was when I switched over to my uh, my leveled up save file, I had 21 ultra compact reactors (laughs) already, which, you know, shows you how much time I wasted. And so I and I used all of them to try to level up everybody's like ultimate weapon. Well, at least my main party's ultimate weapon up to 99. And I, I didn't even get there. I got to like the no. high 80s or low 90s for for uh, Hope Fang and Vanille. So it's very expensive. It's worth noting that the the reason you would want to do this is a they give you a lot of stats and stats are good, right? That's are good. But uh, they also give you an additional ATB unit. So yeah. once you get you get your ATB in Crystarium level nine for each character, you're at five. And then this one puts you up to six. Yep. Yeah, so, so it's worth it. In the process of getting all this money, we're going to start fighting Edmantoises. So let's talk about killing Edmantoises, because this is what you're going to be doing for the next 80 hours of your life. So we already talked about they're really good, they're really big stompy boys. They do a lot of damage, right? Mm-hmm. But they also do Quake, which does a lot of magic damage. Uh, if you have two melee characters, though, you can really reduce the damage from this, because it only hits people who are currently on the ground. And then it has Roar. Right. Roar hits everybody for a ton of damage and inflicts days, which cancels all your actions and is like a temporary stop. So that really fucks you over a lot. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The Adamantis also is a multi-part foe. Its main body has over 5 million HP, but its two legs are more vulnerable. If the player beats both legs, then the Adamantis will fall down and it will not attack for a while. After about a minute, though, it will get back up and its legs will be okay. Right. So most of the strategies, on, unless you're death spamming, what you want to do is you want to take out the legs. And while it is down, you try to load up on debuffs as much as you can, get that stagger gauge up. Another trick that I used to use a lot to kill the legs quickly is to use Fang's high wind. Yeah, that's what I eventually started using when I switch over to Fang. Yeah, I believe uh, what you do is you stack up a bunch of debuffs on the legs and then you get the chain gauge up. You hit it once with high wind and it kills the leg. It's much more efficient than fighting it normally in terms of time. And the the way that makes the high wind attack work and just fighting these guys in general is if you have a Genji glove, because 
Your damage is capped at just under 100,000 per hit. But if you get a Genji Glove, you can break the damage limit. And, you know, that's obviously makes this a lot easier because you're trying to do one giant high wind hit for a ton of damage. Okay. You can also, you can theoretically kill these things when you just arrive on Pulse. I did not know this, but uh, apparently summoning any Eidolon will uh, automatically kill all of his legs. (laughs) What a good sentence. (laughs) It's just the front two legs. And uh, (laughs) that's even better. So when you do that, it makes him fall over, right? And uh, there's an internal clock that ticks down when you kill his legs uh, until he recovers and gets back up. It uh, stays paused while your Eidolon is summoned, so you just basically get a bunch of free time to wail on the dude while your summon is up. Mm -hmm. Eventually, the party will get powerful enough where fighting an Adamantis is possible. This requires a high HP pool, which the heroes will get as they explore the top reaches of their Crystariums, and having accessories that give physical and earth defense are recommended, like the Siltstone Ring, the Clay Ring. They're pretty required for fighting the Adamantises. Also, uh, like, General's Belt, like anything that yeah. reduces your, your physical, physical defense. Yeah. Obviously, also, Synergist, Medics, you know, having uh, Bravera, Faithra, Protectra, all of that is super helpful. I mean, the, these are pretty much the toughest regular enemy you can just run into outside of a hunt. And, uh, yeah, and you're going to have to fight him a lot. <laughs> so you're going you're gonna to get very good at it, or you're going to get very bored at it, or both. I, yeah, not mutually exclusive. <laughs> That's why I said both. Yeah, I went through a lot of podcasts when I was playing this game's post game. I was just playing it together. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite podcast you listened to while doing this? Was it ours? You guys probably aren't familiar with it, but there's this podcast called the Rebel Taxi Pizza Party Podcast. It's a podcast about cartoons. That is a name. Yes, it is. It's a good name. <laughs> good. That's a good name. Continue. Tell me about it. Uh, it's the guy who hosts it. He's like a YouTube cartoon video guy. And he just has a bunch of co-hosts come in. They talk about cartoon news and other stuff. It's a little bit too internet for most people. Because uh, let's just say that the hosts talk about which cartoon characters they want to uh, fuck. Oh, so it's like Waypoint. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's a little bit more vulgar in Waypoint. Also, like, three and a half the... inches flaccid. Oh, well, just to timestamp this, we are we are at the moment of uh, measuring Luigi's dick from <laughs> from Mario Tennis <laughs> or whatever it was. So, like, this is like good for relevant. him. <laughs> Apparently, his dick is like three feet long. <laughs> Matt, what did you listen to? Let's just all plug a podcast because all you're going to be doing is wasting time. Matt, what did you listen to while doing this? Oh, uh, shit. Um, mostly uh, Duckfeed stuff. Duckfeed.tv. Duckfeed.tv, uh, your wafts, your abject sufferings. And, you know, they, they have a ton of podcasts. You know, there's the Dark Tower one I like. But yeah, so it's most mostly those guys are retronauts uh, or Talking Simpsons. Not bad. Yeah. I've yet to like uh, start listening to Talking Simpsons because right now I'm uh, getting through the second season of The Simpsons and I'm just thinking about like when I'm going to get around to Talking Simpsons. It's really good. Do it. Yep. I think it's the best stuff those guys do. I pretty much because they the the depth they go into it and a lot of the references there, it's great. And they really know Simpsons. It's kind of scary. Like they know episode names by heart for like quotes. 
and references. It's it's really nuts. I'd believe it. Anyway. Well, during the post game, I mostly listened to last podcast on the left, which is a very weird horror and oddity comedy podcast. Mm-hmm. So lots of talking about serial killers, cults, like weird alien conspiracies or like hollow earth conspiracies mm-hmm. and then weird shit like ghost cats of the south. Very funny, off collar. Recommend. They have a very good four-part, like, eight-hour inspection of uh, Jonestown. That was very good. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I heard about that. Yeah. Oh, it's we, a very good podcast. Recommend. I would also uh, say uh, I listened to uh, uh, Boku No Stop and the, the bonus episodes of uh, Being Jim Davis. Patreon.com slash pitch drop. Yeah, they're good. They're good. <laughs> Watch, listen to Chris get real mad about Pokemon. Besides Magmar sucks. Besides Magmar sucks. If you like how I get mad at Final Fantasy 13, wait till it's I'm being forced to watch anime because you paid me to. At least you're getting paid <sighs> for it. Imagine if you're doing this, but like for free. <laughs> we didn't talk about the trapezohedron, though. Oh, the trapezohedron, like it's two million gil, but also there's a one percent chance of it dropping from the adamant toys. That is the thing you want to get because that saves you. God, how many platinum ingots? Yeah. You shoot so much rope when you get it. All I'm saying. <laughs> uh, that might be yeah. pushing the blue limit on this podcast, actually. I, it's tagged as explicit. So. Oh, perfect. Like every podcast I've ever been on. Yeah. Why would you not tag uh, it as explicit? I mean, well, they all have to be tagged as explicit when I beca- when I get on them. I mean, come on. We're talking. We're talking about, uh, you know, uh, mounting chocobos and. <laughs> and all that. motorcycles made of scissoring ladies <laughs> uh, now that's a... not sexually explicit that's just you know calling it for what it is that's only because this was a PS3 game if it was a PS4 game imagine the gorgeous bump mapping on the sh- on Shiva's clitoris <laughs> when they fucking during the summon animation I, I, I'm doing the hey sexy uh, eyebrow move to the, to the bump <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the bump physics or whatever it was <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, 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 I don't need rigid body physics on that. (laughs) All right. So there are better ways to get CP, but let's be real. You don't give a shit about that, right? Like you could go fight King Behemoth, but King Behemoth don't drop platinum ingots and trapezohedrons. So you're not going to do that. So this is the rest of your life is you're just going to fight these guys, right? But once you're done fighting those guys, or at least you get tired of it, you can start going back to uh, to the regular mission list. So, and you'll still only get three stars because it scales with your equipment. Exactly. <laughs> All right. All right. So earlier we were talking about uh, um, the eastern parts of Archilda's Step that are accessible only by Chocobo. Right inside that part is Avarice Pasture. There's not much to this place except there's an Ochu, which is basically like. You know, the Neo True fight earlier. Right. And a little bit past that, there's another mission that you have to take where you knock down a red gate and you end up in an area, I believe it's uh, referred to as a necropolis. It looks like a necropolis ruins. Uh, there's a bunch of enemies here, a few hunts. We're going to skip a bit of that and move past that into an area where you get to the Titan Trial.
Okay, the Titan Trials is a series of Seath missions that you have to go through, and at the end of each Seath mission, you have the option to choose between two other further progressing Seath missions. And like a branching tree, right? Yeah, it's a branching path, and you go through five Seath missions, and at the end, you have to fight a like another Seath mission that's kind of harder than the rest. Thing is, is that there are six fifth tier Seath missions that you might want to do if right. you want to waste your time playing this game. So this whole thing is set up by uh, the giant Titan guy you saw in the background when you first got to Pulse. Turns out he's a dick and not cool at all because no. what the branching tree means is that you're going to fight the first like two to three branches in each of these a lot. Yep. So it turns out Titan's a huge dick. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, I, I wish what they would let you do is, okay, because, you know, we talked about this in, like, episode one, that there is very little scarcity of anything because you're not, like, protecting your resources, really, other than maybe TP or your items. So there's really no point in making this an endurance test of let's fight this, uh, you know, this poison dog creature six times because it doesn't matter. You're just <laughs> It just takes time. So, like... The dark secret of Final Fantasy thirteen is they removed a bunch of resources you have to manage and added the most precious one of all, your life. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, like, it should just, like, let you warp to the next stone you haven't done yet, and instead it doesn't do that. And you have to... And you have to... There's one final fight that you have to unlock by fighting everything at least once. Okay, when you fight that final fight, do you have to do an entire Titan Trial run again? Yes, you do! I totally forgot about... Well, you gotta do, like, four out of the five. You got to do four out of the five. That's garbage. Yeah. It's and terrible. you know what's also garbage is reading these notes that we skipped past. The f- Every single time you start this, you fight an armadillo, one of the most time consuming enemies to fight. Go fuck yourself, Square Enix. Yeah, it's real bad. So out of all of those enemies, we have a few that are worth even talking about, starting with uh, Mission 51, Atticus the Undying. Tell me about it, Graham. The Atticus is uh, basically a Vladislaus enemy. He has 9 million HP, uh, 999 Sigur Bar, maximal chain resistance. So this is a long, drawn-out battle. Like other characters in the Bushido Seath class of enemy, Atticus makes use of Concentrate, which uh, clears itself of debuffs and puts Deep Protect on Deshaun and party members, forcing the player to switch to healing and defensive. Uh, this battle is all about just building up chains and dealing damage, even as Atticus slowly gains more and more power. Uh, but the reward is a Genji Glove. Uh, I don't know if that's worth it, oh, because totally worth there it. are easy Genji Gloves to get. But, yeah, that's... that's you're, what, not, you're not doing it for the reward. You're doing it because you hate yourself. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, right. This is basically the end result of the Titan's Trial. You beat this guy and you finish the Titan Trial. So if the player yeah. is efficient, they can complete all the missions in only 35 battles. <laughs> I highlighted that because that made me really angry the way you wrote it. Uh, it's, you, you know it's what? It's not wrong though. <laughs> I'm not gonna bag on. I'm not gonna bag on it any more than just saying this. It is emblematic of the entire Final Fantasy 13 experience that you waste your whole time doing the post game, 
And the final, final super boss yeah. is the last unique enemy they added in the game, who, if you remember, after you fight him, the next fight is just him again. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't even come up with something new for the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah. But what, one of the uh, enemies we skipped over, uh, you need to, to fight it in order to unlock the Titan Trials, but you also fight him in the Titan Trials, is the Tonberry. So this one, when you first show up, this is mission 34, Zenobia the Butcher. Right before you get to the Titan Trials, you're in this little Acropolis area ruins, and you have to unlock this to get to the Titan Trials. It starts off with a cinematic scene where you like you get this really cool new seat design, and then it immediately just gets ganked by a Tonberry out of nowhere, and then you fight a Tonberry, which, you know, long-running uh, Final Fantasy enemy, and uh, this one in particular, it's just, it's interesting because... The longer the fight goes, the more powerful its knife gets and it starts stacking debuffs on you. It's just it keeps you on your toes and you really got to rush this guy down. But there's a one of the battles in the Titan Trials is three of these guys and it's fucking pain if you don't have a Deceptisol. Do the Tonberries have a unique gimmick like they usually do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they have like grudges. I I'm think. sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they have a, they have some like grudge attacks that increase damage with, I think, the amount of time and damage they take. And they also start adding debuffs like days and and pain and fog. But basically, if you're getting hit with pain and fog, you're you're fucked and you should just restart the, the battle anyway. They're interesting fights. And it's yeah. just cool that they surprise you with it. Not much else to the like the high level seat missions except mission fifty four is against the Gigantar and this guy's a giant cactuar. Right, but like we have to meet the cactuars first. So there's this area where the adamantoys and adamantulids are, are hanging out on the archlight step, and there's a little platform you can hop onto when you're on a chocobo, and you get a cutscene of Saz squaring off with a cactuar, which is real silly because. For some reason, like he's trash talking this cactuar and then tries to like bear hug catch it, which is ridiculous because it's a fucking cactus. <laughs> uh, after that happens, you start seeing cactuars around the field pretty much everywhere. Like there's usually one hanging around. Uh, they give you a decent amount of CP, but they're not super interesting fights. But you have to, I think you have to run into a couple of cutscenes before the gigantuar uh, shows up. It's worth noting if you want to get a decent amount of CP out of it, you have to waste your time. Because there's like this dance they do, and every time they do it, it adds 5,000 CP to their value up to 15. But oh. you just have to wait for it to happen. That's interesting. So I guess, yeah. They're not like dangerous though. Like, I, I didn't find like the regular Cactuars like tough fights. But then again, I was also doing the get the highest rating thing instead of the get. I didn't know that trick. Interesting. Yeah. It, once you're high enough level, your dudes just murder him and you only get 10,000 out of it. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about the big guy. The Gigantuar. Okay, so this Gigantar guy, he was very hard, and he has this move called 10,000 Needles, which does 10,000 damage, but also does Pain and Fog, and I could not shake that Pain and Fog. Eventually he got desperate, and I spec Zaz for a random instant chain, with the Gigantar's high chain resistance and 800% Sager roof, getting the chain on the Gigantar is tough. Thing is, with his HP is just over 1 million, and at that point, 1 million HP wasn't a lot, so random chain basically spelled its doom. Yeah, that, that skill seems super powerful, and I wish I spec'd my characters for it for some of these fights that I did. 
what circle of Seath missions are we talking about? Is this the one by the Titans? Yeah, it's it's the one. Okay. It's a circle of Seath missions that's just ah. inside Archelot's step. Okay. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. You can find them early, but you shouldn't do them when you see them because they'll wreck you. Yeah. So once you finish all of the uh, Seath missions that are in that like circle on the hill by Titan, there's a change in the step. All of the Edmantois enemies all upgrade into Shaolongui's and Longui's. Shaolongui's are pretty hard, but uh, the Longui's are one of the ultimate challenges in this game. Do they look any different? Because I obviously definitely did not do this. I think they have a palette change. I think their coloring scheme is a little different. Yeah. Fucking worth it. <laughs> Longui's just have over 6 million HP. They're basically just upgraded Adamantises. They hit harder. The death trick will not work. However, for summoning, will topple it still. You can still use that trick. The Longui does have a move called Ultima, which is, again, a long-running spell that showed up in the game. Although, I think this is the first time it shows up where you can't cast it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the Longui. So, we <laughs> we have the Amantulids, which are the small stompy boys. And then you have the long guys. You got small stompy boys, medium stompy boys, big stompy boys, and then, like, the big gulp stompy boys, which are the Longuis. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Do we want to talk about the Doom Herald? The very last mission. The final boss of the game. Will it be a recycled model? Tune in now to find out. It is. <laughs> I was be I was kidding. God damn it. <laughs> Tell me about it, Grab. Okay, so like at first in Jedericks, he's the ultimate boss. He's a super boss. Uh, 16 million HP. I did not beat this guy this playthrough. I gave up, but... I have beat him before, and my method was using poison and turtling. That sounds really exciting. <laughs> each time Percy shields up, his debuffs heal. So each time he comes off that shield, you had to put poison back on him. Now, he has 6 million HP, but poison hurts at the same percentage rate between every enemy. So poison is really effective, even if Percy is healing every time he shields up. As the battle goes on, his wind attacks become more and more powerful... So turtling up with Sentinels, defensive buffs, and healing is more and more important. And that's it. That's Mission 64. Good job. And that's the postgame. Hundreds of hours of your life saved by listening to this hour-long podcast. It took me 70 hours the first time I did it, I think. Yikes. Yeah, that's where I was when I stopped uh, my first first round. That's so long. That's so long. I wasn't even halfway done. Yeah. Anyone have anything to say about the postgame? I said this before, but I don't love this postgame as much as I used to. Revisiting it for this podcast has made me realize how empty it is, even if it does have some great moments, and conceptually, I like it. It's like the bare minimum necessary to have what you could call a postgame, right? It's, let's copy and paste all these guys at a barely functioning menu system for looking at the missions, and then there's what? There's four unique enemy types across 70 hours, right? It's the Tonberries, the Ochus. The Ochus, yeah. Uh, that one Seath guy. And uh, that's it. And the Cactuar. Yeah, pretty much. Some of the flying guys, they have more wrinkles to them than like the ones you just fight in the main game. Uh, we also skipped like the one sort of bat-like Seath that you fight in the mines that has like 26 adds and then keep summoning more, which is a, just a really hectic fight. 
yeah, I mean, this whole post game, you know, you think the system becomes like it had some really interesting puzzle pieces. It forced you to make interesting trade offs in your paradigm deck and try to find ways to solve the puzzle of how do you beat this guy and how do you beat him quickly? Because this is a very momentum focused battle system. And then this post game, it mostly just boils down to either finding uh, like doing a death spam or like your paradigms are just like three versions of the same class that you just swap between. It just doesn't feel like it's engaging enough. And then, of course, it like we mentioned, things like the Titan Trials, it just wastes your time in a way that isn't interesting at all. So, yeah, I mean, if you're going to play. This oh, you game, missed the part would... where they punch you in the dick first. It wastes <laughs> your time. For like six hours before you can get a chocobo, which lets you more efficiently waste all of the rest of your time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the the numbers to upgrade your weapons, the amount of ingots you need for that is is. Why do they lot. have the experience? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so like, I wasn't. I, no, oh, go ahead. I'm done. <laughs> I was just, you know, if you if you've been playing along with the show, or if you've you know want to jump in and play for the show, just. You know, maybe do a couple just to get some levels up when you first get to chapter 11. But other than that, you don't do any of them or don't do any of them just because it's not like you're making any more interesting choices than you were going through chapters 12 and 13. I think chapters 12 and 13 are are just better. They're just better experiences. Yeah. Don't do fucking anything on pulse at all. Just Mm -hmm. chapter 11. So long without any of this bullshit. Right. We skipped all of this. Like a lot of this could happen before you even hit the mines. And, you know, we we've talked about how long chapter 11 was. I mean, it was it was a two parter. So like, yeah, just imagine like just padding your game time by doing that. I mean, maybe you'd have an easier time because you'd have the CP to have skills earlier. But you wouldn't because you're you're fucking gated by the Crystarium expansion in the the game gates your level by main plot progression. You're going to have. And I hit the max level just going straight through. Right. No, what right? I mean is so like you you get nothing out of it. What I meant was like you would hit the end of every expansion sooner in the chapter than the later chapter. So like instead of. Yeah, but you still got to fight all the guys. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like you get yeah, nothing still a from lot of it. Play. It's still a lot of play. It's not really that much of a benefit. No. Nope. So like and the challenge is not it's not interesting enough. If you cut this down to like when, when you think about it, it's very disappointing coming off of Final Fantasy 12, which I think does the hunts a lot better because all of the hunts are unique, interesting fights. And, mm-hmm. that, you know, really, there's okay, a higher no. there's a higher ratio of them. <laughs> I like Final Fantasy 12 so much more than this game in retrospect. Right. I mean, like when you think about like, you know, there's no fight in this game where you can't use items or you can't use magic, you know, like they actually try to make these fights different. Like, or the one where they force your party when you have to go find uh Ultros, right? You have to have mm-hmm. you have to completely use a completely different party. You have to have the all ladies party. That's right. Yep, yeah, yep. I remember that one. Yeah. So like they did this better the game before. So we should talk know. about Final Fantasy XII instead. What a good game! You can accidentally stumble into a super boss in a, a highly complex cave network in the desert. Oh yeah, fuck that. Game. What a what a what a good game. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no. There's I mean because you're exploring stuff. It's the opposite. Like thinking back on this game, I remember thinking, okay, the first 25 hours, very linear. Sure, it's very controlled. That's nice. And then it opens up and it's great. And it's like, no, it opens up and then nothing happens. And yeah, yeah, the second they give you any control over your party, the numbers go through the roof and combat starts to fucking suck. And then they let you control where you want to go. And then wherever you want to go, there's fucking nothing. 
The second right. they give you any control in this game is when it gets bad. Yeah, and the thing is, like, you, they could have done a lot with world building stuff, too, because, you know, you go, there are areas where there's, you know, you have, like, a, a fucking Acropolis area. They call it an Acropolis. And there's just nothing to learn there. Like, there's nothing you learn about the people or civilization of Pulse that you didn't learn from going to Werba, which I think is a really missed opportunity, even in a narrative sense. This game relies too much on data logs to explain its lore. Like, the worst way to, yeah. like, get lore through to a player is through, like, large texts of stuff. Now, there are Do some... Do you know what the cheapest way to get information to a player is? Text. It's walls of text. Yeah, yep. like, there's just... Nowadays, game... Like, a lot of game developers have clued on that a lot of players like lore and world building and stuff, but most of the time they do not know how to deliver that information to the player. They rely on large text blocks, and it's not fun. It's not engaging. I don't care. Don't play Final Fantasy XIII. Play The Witcher 3. Yeah, it's a tough balance to strike between, like, you want to please the people that don't care about any of this stuff and just want to play the game, and people that want all the information it's like where's that goldilocks zone but you know one of the things with these texts like we've we haven't even talked about how the missions have like little story excerpts from the people that became the seath stones and because there's nothing worth talking about it's yeah just, and i just did not care no they're all variations of this mission seems impossible but if i do it i'll save my village i was never heard from again yeah pretty much yeah copy and paste 64 it 64 times, times. <laughs> yeah fuck that uh, useless yeah. flavor it, text like, and it's a shame like okay it was already you know depending if you're chris or or not chris like the end of this game of like the main game was already a pretty wet fart but you know it, it's kind of a bummer to end uh this season on uh even wetter nastier fart no it's a bummer final fantasy 13 in <laughs> retrospect is a bad game it has a good first 40 percent of it play it all the way up to the end of chapter eight uninstall the game you did it. You had the ideal experience. Does anyone have anything else to say before we forget about the Final Fantasy 13 forever? No. Well, you know, I'm still wrapping it up. Really glad I got a chance to revisit this because I think I, I can better articulate what I don't like about the game and what I like about the game, like what it actually did well. Because usually when people talk about it, they say, oh, it's an unmitigated trash fire. And it's like, nah, it's it's like it's like 50 50 like the, the, you know what? they're wrong the way they say it's a trash fire they're wrong about why it's bad people yeah. don't like it because it's linear and controlled and that's the best part the part of the game they think they want is the bad part of the game right and also i mean like and we'll talk about this uh because you know all of us have started the next game in the series that better game i think the next game of the series it's good but it, it went from one extreme which is the super linear controlled but like understandable level of systems to like the complete opposite. Like there are tons of systems and I can't tell if I'm ever going to figure out the efficient way unless I look at a guide because there's just, there's so much. So it's going to be really interesting to contrast this with uh, the next game in the series. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Matt, how can people talk to us to tell us that we're wrong so I could yell at them and say, no, fuck you. You're wrong. <laughs> uh, you can uh, get abused by Chris by getting in contact with the show at contact at lightningstrikesthrice.com as well as reach to us on reach out to us on twitter at lightxthrice and facebook.com slash lightxthrice in terms of plugs let's do some plugs 
You could listen to my other podcast about another thing that it turns out I think is bad called Magmar Sucks. We're building an ordered list of all Pokemon from most to least interesting one Pokemon at a time. You guys got plugs? I'm going to be on a few episodes of Magmar Sucks coming up. Whether or not they're any good, I don't know yet. <laughs> what? What'd you say? I wasn't listening. I'm oh, sorry. I, I don't know if they're going to be good episodes of it because I'm there, but I am definitely on there. They'll be fine. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah, I, I feel like I, I, I walked into a very unusual setup. You walked into an environment where four people have been doing the same format for two years, and I told you literally nothing about it because it was fun. I literally did not listen to an episode until after I went on the show. Like, I purposely. You're telling me you had the ideal Magmar Sucks experience, which is not listening to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. Well, fuck you, Matt. <laughs> I listened to episode zero, actually, and I'm like, wow, this is tough to listen to because the audio quality. <laughs> yeah, the first time anyone had, any of us had ever reported about guests. Uh, yeah. Don't listen to any part of my podcast that's earlier than the episode about Lepris. Good to know. Graham, do you got any plugs? How's your Let's Play going? Actually, some little, it's been a little shaky lately because, okay, the new threat does something very special at the end of disc one. And what I did is I like rushed through that part and actually missed it. And if I hadn't gone back and repair it and fix it, I would miss out on a whole lot of content. So right now it's going kind of slow because I'm, I had to go back and hack my save to like fix something, but it's on the right track now. Okay. Um, well, that's it for Final Fantasy 13. I'm sorry if you played along. <laughs> we will catch you next week. What Chris meant to say was, we will return in two weeks on May 6th with the beginning of Season 2. For the first episode of our 13-2 season, where we're going to be talking about mechanics, and then going forward... This podcast will only come out every other week. Uh, we're going to try to talk about it in smaller chunks because it turns out that Square Enix doesn't know how to pace a game. So as a result, <laughs> our podcast was poorly paced. Yeah, let's say that like some of these uh, chapters got real long. We're going to talk about smaller sections, but we're going to have we're going to have a new co-host, Fletcher. And uh, we're going to have it, try to have it be a little more conversational. So you'll have episodes that theoretically cover less of the game, but might be about the same length a little longer, but they're only going to be every other week. So we'll catch you then. See you next week. Talk about 13-2, a game full of OCs and time travel. Uh, see you guys next season. This podcast was brought to you by the Pitch Drop Podcast Network. Like what you just heard? Support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pitch drop. And while you're at it, check out pitchdrop.net for more of this and other shows.